Go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. My name is Toby Miller, and my guests today are... Katie Moylan. Beautiful. Um, Mark Allen Derry. And I'm Vijay. So could I ask Mark Allen to start off, and then we'll hear from Vijay about what you guys are doing and about your stations. And I should start with a thank you to Katie, who's really convening this and whose brilliant idea it was to bring us all together. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Katie. It's, it's great to see you guys here. My name is Mark Allen Derry. I uh, founded a radio station in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, which is in the southernmost part of the United States, uh, called WHIV. Uh, 102.3 WHIV were a community radio station dedicated to human rights and social justice. I was able to name the radio station, and, and uh, I am an HIV physician. I'm an infectious diseases doctor, which means that the last couple of years of my life, I've been extremely busy, slightly exhausted uh, as a result of a, <laughs> a global pandemic. Uh, but I am an HIV physician, and because the W is fixed, any station broadcast station, anything that's east of the Mississippi River automatically gets designated a W in the United States. Anything on the west side of the Mississippi River automatically gets designated a K, the letter K. So because we're W, we're automatically on the east side of the Mississippi. Actually, technically, we are on the west side, but we're right kind of in that little, if you know New Orleans, the Mississippi just it travels and curls. We could have fought for a K if we wanted to, but we didn't want to. We like the WHIV, 102.3 WHIV. Now, the, if I could have named the radio station uh, Human Rights and Social Justice Radio, I would have. But I only had three letters. And like my wife usually says, if you give this man three letters, he'll figure out a way to rearrange them so that it does spell out HIV. And so by naming the radio station WHIV, what we've done is two things. One is that we have used the letters H and I and V as a surrogate for all things human rights and social justice. Because infectious diseases are diseases of the poor, and I'm sure this is made much easier to, to understand, especially after a global pandemic in which we saw those individuals who were most disproportionately affected were those that were the global poor amongst us, um, those with the least amount of resources, those that come from um, uh, what we refer to as vulnerable communities in the United States. These are the folks that are most likely to obtain infectious diseases. For example, the three leading uh, infectious diseases killers in the world are TB, malaria, and HIV, and they're not happening in a place like Sweden, right? So you could understand how infectious diseases and uh, dis, dis, uh, disproportionately affect the poor. And so when we're talking about, what we're talking about is poverty. And when we're talking about poverty, what we're really talking about are, are all things human rights and social justice. So our radio station, WHIV, is really committed to promoting all things human rights and social justice. And as, as I'm sure um, uh, all three of you and our listeners know, right now uh, the United States is really going through an extreme crisis of um, what identity. I mean, we're you know, months away from going either one direction or the next. And we've been on air for nine years now. And we've really been trying to push 
the conversation so that it does speak truth to power. And that's largely what WHIV does. And we're able to do it through a community radio station with 70 uh, volunteer DJs, um, one part-time played, a part-time paid employee. And we were, during COVID, we were the voice of reason that a lot of people tuned into around the country uh, and some parts around the world. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> some parts around the world because the station was headed by an infectious disease doctor who really looked at the science more than anything else. So this is a short uh, introduction to WHIV. And again, thank you guys so much for having me and allow me to talk about one of my favorite uh, subjects, which is the radio station. Beautiful, thank you. And and uh, VJ, hi guys, I'm VJ. Um, great listening to you about all about your station, Mark Allen. Um, it was great, and thank you once again, Toby and Katie, for inviting me onto this podcast because it's it's amazing to talk about community radio. So yes, I'm VJ. I'm from a radio station based in Leicester, UK, um, and it's called Eva FM. Eva FM stands for East African Voice Association. And we are now 15 years. We just celebrated 15 years of our station on December the 5th last year. So we had a big celebration. We've got about 70 plus volunteers that volunteer at the station. So very similar to WHIV. Um, same kind of model as the US, I presume, is community radio. So yeah, we've been around. We serve the diverse communities of Leicester, we are a multilingual radio station that serves all of these different communities originating from around the world. However, the name Eva FM, where does it come from? So 15 years ago, um, it was a bit before that, there was a there was a my director, the founder, they wanted to create a radio station for the East African community that originate um that arrived in UK in Leicester, shall I say. But however, they're, they're from a Somali heritage background. But in Leicester, we have a lot of South Asians that came that, that came along to UK um, from Uganda, Kenya, and that this is all the region of East Africa. So when this radio station was set up, a lot of the South Asian community wanted to be involved. And then we had a lot of the African Caribbean community wanted to be involved and African community wanted to be involved because they thought, this is amazing. We're getting a voice in our language, multilingual, whether it doesn't matter your language, what you speak. From there, we had other communities from the outreach work we started to do. We had lots of different communities wanted to get involved, Eastern European, Chinese. So we had a Cantonese Mandarin show. We had an Afghani Pushtao show. We had a Tamil show. Um, Tilgu show these are different areas in India and so and of course English so we started to have lots of different languages so we had to go back to the regulator and tell them look we've got lots of languages it's just not East African so from Arabic to Somali to Swahili to any of these languages Shona, Debele, Zulu we opened it up to the whole community my my mum was actually born in Kenya so I'm East African as well, even though I have a full heritage of, of Indian origin because they moved along and they came over in the late 60s. And so even some of the words, dialects I speak, I speak a bit of, I speak English, speak Gujarati, speak Hindi, but also there's a bit of Swahili mixed into my Gujarati as well. Um, a few words here and there. So you could see Ever FM serves that community. And the main aim is... We serve these communities by 
promoting education, health awareness, um, also just entertainment shows, local news. So there's a whole mix of everything that's going around. And also it was a way of kind of these new arriving communities to understand what's happening in UK or Leicester specific and kind of translating that via different languages. And also the British value as well. We're not saying um, what people do in their country or their origin or their heritage is wrong. It's just different. Everyone has a different way of living, of doing different processes. And it's understanding that and how are we going to all work together? So when Eva FM has a team meeting, you can see there's people from all over the world originating from different heritages and different communities and faith backgrounds. So people say, oh, this is like the, the new UN, you know, food from all over the different countries and places, people with different dialects. And no one says what people do in other countries is wrong, but it's just different, you know, and everyone has their own way. And it was understanding that. And so Eva FM is kind of a community hub for different dialects and different people. Together with that, we do a lot of community projects with social gain around that. So the radio station is more of a community base and we do lots of different projects. I love how you've got the, the health thing there in New Orleans going on. We, we've actually got a really good health project currently that we're really promoting is blood donor within the African community and organ donor in the South Asian community. Because working with the NHS directly, the National Health Service in UK, in UK, there's a shortage of organ donors in South Asian community and blood donors for the African Caribbean communities. And for whatever reasons, there's reasons around that. I don't want to go too in-depth into that because this is more radio. So we're using radio and the communities working around us to promote this. We also do a lot of youth work um, around with different from university level. Thank you, Katie, for really getting me involved with Leicester University from college to school and alternative education and just general youth that we work with. Um, so that's a kind of a lot of things that Eva FM does. We do lots around lots of different community projects. So that's really a breakdown of Eva FM and who we are. I am so happy to have both of you here to talk about the amazing work that both your stations do. And you both have just given me so much to to kind of illustrate about the value of community radio. I always say this, radio is about so much more than just programming, but programming is also everything. So in very different ways, the two stations, Eve FM and WHIV FM, um, relate. You, know, you, you have social gain aims, you reach out to the community, you provide real support. And that's become very clear from the pandemic, from the start of the pandemic and the lockdowns. But it's also radio. So you have this everyday function of providing entertainment, providing um, a sense of being part of a, a bigger community. So there are commonalities across community radio, and they have to do with things like the fact that most broadcasters, most stations are volunteer led, as you both said. Um, you're usually nonprofit, you're struggling for resources, you have a remit of care in different ways. Um, both of you have these incredibly diverse schedules. So, but you also have such unique programming, like VJ, Eva FM's programming, really, and Toby mentioned this the last time we spoke. The thing about Lester is it is like resoundingly and diverse in a very established way. And the multilingual programming of Eva FM uh, reflects that. But as you say, it also reflects and 
allows space for different communities, um, depending on faith affiliations and, and but also music communities of interest. WHIV does these things as well, um, but you also have things and you discuss community matters, things like NOLA matters, where like everyday uh, issues, concerns that come up with New Orleans, which continues to face uh, infrastructural, uh, can we say, difficulties, um, which have to do with the wider context of a very unsettled and troubled U.S., exactly as you say, Mark Alon. Um, but in a way, I have so much to say, but really it's over to you in a minute. Um, but I feel like radio in these times, especially community radio, where we can hear people whose kind of values maybe are closer to our own, is so valuable as a form of support, also, during lockdowns, radio provided that support as well. So any of this that you guys can expand on, I'm delighted we could just tease it all out. Um, any place you guys want to continue from? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll jump in. And, and uh, it's a... It's a so a lot, a large place for us to, to start, but, um, you know, I, I think what's important and kind of picking up a lot of what Vijay was saying is, um, community radio really is aptly named, isn't it? It really is community, right? And the word unity in, in community is so important. And I always say that WHIV the radio station looks and sounds like New Orleans. And that was really important for us to, to make that, uh, uh, to make that a reality that it does look and sound because it's easy to get people from maybe my social network. I mean, when I first started, nobody wanted to be on a radio. First of all, nobody believed that I actually started a radio station. They thought it maybe was an internet thing or whatever. Starting a radio station in the United States is a very difficult thing and it only comes around once every 40 years and the fact that i was able to get the fcc which is the u.s regulating body for broadcasting both tv internet and radio the fact that i was able to get the fcc the federal communication something katie do you remember ah, FCC. FCC. I <laughs> sorry i Commission. Commission, Commission. <laughs> Thank yes. you, of course. Because it's a government, it's a government adjacent body. It's a government, it's a U.S. government entity. And so they only pass out licenses once every, you know, four years. When I came home, amongst the many other things that I was like, I would love to do, and I came home telling my wife I'm going to start a radio station, she was like, yeah, 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 go take out the garbage, the kitty litter needs to be... Uh, taken out and sure you're starting a radio station who does that what do you mental uh you know <laughs> 10 years later here we are right no but what was nobody wanted to start and no one wanted to be on a radio station called whiv and that was largely because of the call letters and people are like "Ooh, those are unfortunate call letters in fact Katie, I, I meant to show this to you, but we were on the cover, my wife and I were on the cover of Radio World, which is the kind of Rolling Stone. If like, think about what Rolling Stone is to music, Radio World is to radio in America. And Leanna and I were on the cover of a small low power FM radio station that was based in New Orleans. And it was funny because it was a nice picture of my wife and I, the co-founder. And at the bottom, it says, you know, 102.3 WHIV, a small but mighty radio station dedicated to human rights. That was on the, that was on the byline on the cover of the magazine. And then tiny little letters underneath, it says, no, those call letters are not a coincidence, which made me laugh. 
And it made me laugh because uh, it's still stigmatizing to some people. And in this case, what we did with HIV, which is a, still a very highly stigmatized illness uh, in the United States, and, and by naming the radio station HIV, WHIV, what I was able to do was get DJs. Now, we're legally supposed to, you know, do call signs, call letters at the top of every hour, but we insist that everybody does it four times an hour at the top, the quarter, the bottom, the quarter again, and the top of the hour. Now, think about if you can get people to say 102.3 WHIV four times an hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, four times, you know, four weeks a month, 12 months a year. 10 years later, that how do you take a power out of the word? If you could just repeat it over and over again, you will remove that, that negative connotation and that power out of that word. And now when people come up to me, they talk about HIV, and it takes me a second to kind of see, are they talking about the virus? Or are they talking about the radio station? There's a habit in New Orleans to drop the W off of, you know, so like WTUL, which is the Tulane, which is a local university that they just refer to it as TUL, right? There's a radio station that's called WWOZ. That's got two W's. They just dropped the two W's and they refer to it as OZ, another community radio station. And so what we've done and I like to say inadvertently, humbly, but my wife says, no, it was done intentionally, and she's right. What we've done is we destigmatized the word WHIV, HIV, by just repeating it over and over again. And now HIV is just, it's just another word. It doesn't have that same stigmatizing kind of element. And that's what community radio can do. And when you have people living with HIV and they live in New Orleans and they recognize that that word is no longer stigmatized and that we have a waiting list of people who want to volunteer their time and energy on a radio station called WHIV, it's largely because of our, our focus and of our mission. It, the radio station was founded by an HIV physician who responds to global emergencies. And so that's always a, everybody, you know, that's always a positive, that gets positive goodwill. But more than that, I mean, I'll tell you another really quick story as well. So after we started WHIV in 2014, um, World AIDS Day, December 1st, 2014, I was immediately called to Sierra Leone by the WHO. So I literally started the station. We didn't even know how to use the station. We only used it for a couple hours a day. We didn't know how to go overnight. We had no volunteers. Uh, it was just a couple hours. It's when we were on Bell Street, Katie. We just yeah. didn't know. We just didn't know how to use the equipment. We just got it all, installed it, and just, you know, the FCC said, you're good to go. And then I got called out to, um, I got called out to Sierra Leone to, to respond to the global emergency for the Ebola. And I was an Ebola doctor for about four months living in Sierra Leone in Freetown. And once I got there, I started to get to know the UN AIDS people. And, um, and I told them the story that I'm about to tell you. So the first person we offered the radio, a radio show to is a guy named Dorian Gray Alexander. And I swear to you, that's his legal name, Dorian Gray Alexander. And we, he just goes by Dorian, but sometimes we call him Dorian Gray. But Dorian is a, uh, is a, 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 a gay man of color who lives in the deep south who has HIV and is open with the status he also stutters so when we were giving shows to people and democratizing the airwaves in New Orleans 
The first show we offered was to a man who stutters because we were real when we said we wanted community radio. You tell me somebody else who's going to offer a radio program to a man who stutters. Now, the radio show for Dorian was a great thing because he immediately started taking speech lessons and his stutter actually improved significantly as he, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But what he was doing was speaking openly about having HIV living in New Orleans, a gay black man living in New Orleans in the deep South and all that comes with it, right? Because he belongs to many, uh, um, communities of which they're stigmatized, being gay, being a person of color in the southern United States, having HIV. And the way he was talking about it, when I mentioned this to UN AIDS, they bugged out and they instantly asked me for podcasts. And what they did was they played his radio shows throughout West Africa in the UN AIDS waiting rooms, especially in Sierra Leone because they speak English in Sierra Leone. And the reason for that was because if you have HIV and are gay in Sierra Leone, uh, Guinea, uh, what have you in West Africa, you can't talk about having HIV openly. You can't talk about being gay openly. But they can play those shows and, and, and empower individuals that are in waiting rooms, waiting to be seen by their doctors in these clinic in UN AIDS. And again, that's another very powerful thing that community radio is able to do. So not only were you able to fight stigma for HIV, for being gay, for what have you, not only in New Orleans, but we were able to do it all through, uh, through West Africa in UN AIDS waiting rooms, especially during the Ebola crisis. And so the point that I'm making your case, just to follow up on what you were saying, is that community radio is so much, and it's really, you're limited by the boundaries of your imagination. Keep pushing hard and keep pushing big, and community radio can fill that spot. And that's, I think, like what we've done here uh, in New Orleans. And, and very much, I'm so inspired, VJ, by what you guys are doing as well. Uh, and, and I'm going to just hand the microphone over to you, brother. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Wow, Mark. That just, that, that's amazing, Mark Allen. You know, the, what you guys are doing, giving that voice. And I think adding on to that is community radio. One of the beautiful things is like giving the voice to no one that's ever had a voice, you know? Um, that's, that's the thing. In UK, community radio, there's over 300 community radio stations across the UK now, which is amazing. And that's, Never mind, we're not even including the ones that are unknown of on internet or or or, or just pushing along. You know, these are these are probably registered with Ofcom, the Office of Communication. That's our regulator in UK. So there's lots of community radio stations that are on FM, um, and we have something called there's a there's, we have something called the CMA, which is the Community Media Association. The CMA is a kind of a body that kind of an association that that represents community radio to government and lobbies and make sure licenses are going out did you say 40 years or four years every year for license applications yeah for license applications oh uh for us it's i think it's like it's four years for the first year yeah. and then i think four years for a second and i think our engineer said that we've been kind of passing all of our mark i i i actually you know what okay i think it's, it's four okay. years but i can't answer our engineer knows all that stuff i'm sorry it's all right we can't I'm, do everything 
Uh, ours is five years, so you get a license, but generally there's there's not been a station that's put an application in that's not had it renewed because they're generally doing what they're doing and they're doing great stuff. So community radio is really, Leicester has a really, where I'm from, has a really vibrant community radio community. So there's there's over six or seven different radio, community radio stations across Leicester, plus the commercials and the state radio BBC. So it's very vibrant in the things we do. Um, so one of the interesting stories I want to talk about that that really happened is we have... We started a show working with the local police. Um, it was for the Roma Slovak community. So in inverted commas, they've always been stigmatized to be called the Roma Gypsy community. And they've always been like, so there was a huge influx of that community coming to Leicester. So we got the first Roma Slovak. So Slovakia, they have a dialect and it's called Roma. We got them to have their first radio station and give them a voice to talk about Things in Leicester, British lifestyle, I don't know, education, employment, law. And the biggest radio station in Slovakia came over and said, we want to feature on the show because no one's ever given this community a voice. They're, they're, a, they're a tribe or, again, in inverted commas, a gypsy community, travellers. Um, and they were never given a voice. And we said they must have a voice. They're a community within our community, you know, and they play a valid role just like any other community. So when we worked with the local police to get them on air, on live, on radio, shall I say, it was an amazing achievement for everyone involved and especially that community. So there's lots of different stories that I'm hearing across the world about the success of community radio and how long, and, and it's just thriving. I know in Australia, there's a huge community. I'm hearing about US, parts of Europe, it's thriving, giving people a voice, giving the alternative voice and news. Going back to some of the things that we do, we've created a module with KT for third year students, and we've called it Community Radio in Practice. We go and deliver lectures and workshops for eight weeks, then them students come back and do a live show which they're marked on for their for their for their module. That in itself is, I think, is an achievement in itself to give these young people, young students a voice. We've had shows from university life to food to culture. We've even had shows, international shows, kind of do shows in their own language. I think it was Cantonese or Mandarin. Um, I don't know how you mark that, Katie, but it must have been amazing. But but you know. The, the vast, just giving people a voice, the different languages, the diversity in community radio, I think is a definite, um, a plus point. Do we have that on commercial? Do we have that on state radios? Potentially a no. So it's, it's giving that voice and that community a chance to thrive um, and remove stigmas, whether it's health. One of the interesting things that we found over the pandemic was in UK, the UK had rolled out a whole area of information. However, community radio was not involved, unfortunately, in that rollout. And then as the pandemic carried on, carried on, we lobbied with government to say, why is community radio left out? Especially, so they were sending community radio for, uh, vox pops and, and, and PSAs. PSAs mean public service announcements. Um, 
And they wanted us to carry them out free and do the community work with no monetary gain. However, our stations, we weren't allowed in. How are we meant to put processes in place? So we lobbied that and says, you're paying commercials, you're paying the state radio, you're paying, you, you, you've put investment into everything apart from community radios and community settings. However, then in July of, I think it was 2020, the prime minister said, we're going to have to use community settings and one is community radio. Then came the finance to the resources to support this finally. And it made a huge difference. It, it, it made communities understand in different languages, the myths around COVID, um, the pandemic, lockdown rules and regulations. How else were communities that were arriving from different countries that didn't have the dialect or couldn't understand? get that message across. And that really helped. So unfortunately, Leicester was one of the cities that was constantly in lockdown throughout the whole of the first year um, of, pan of the pandemic. And that really helped Leicester getting these community radios and community settings and environments getting this voice out. So it, it, it it's just, I can't believe it's taken so many years to be actually recognised. And we're still not recognised as a sector in, in its own. And it's, and it's like, why are we not recognised? What do we need to do further more to be recognised as a commercial or, or the commercial sector, the state sector? Um, um, we've been called the third sector. You know, when are we going to get recognised? And when is this thing not, you know, we're just going to be out there, really? I think I've said lots and lots and lots. I don't know if that if I'm going off on a tangent, but we need to be more recognised globally. Um, and how are we going to do that? The work Mark Allen's done, stigma, the work we're doing at Eva FM, just getting voices heard. We need to do this on a global, more on a connected level as well. How are we going to unite these community radios across globally and, and speak about this? So I think well, I'm going to end that there. Maybe that's a task. And how is it going to be resourced as well? Because we know the resources means a lot. It's run on volunteers. It's run on a shoestring of of, of funds. Um, I'm guessing equipment around community radio is not the greatest. It's all secondhand kit, bought in auctions, etc. Um, um, handed down free of charge or donations. How are we going to get this message across? I mean, this is you. You're just you've said so eloquently something I just so strongly believe in. And and you guys see this all the time, like doing the work that you're doing in your stations and the social gain, the real care work that both your stations are doing in different ways. Which really, you know, the UK was set up for a while with a socialized medical system. I mean, that's where the NHS comes from. I mean, and so there was a duty of care that the state at one time was sort of providing, was providing, was committed to providing. And that duty of care is something that's now being, um, you know, performed by both of your stations in different ways, in real ways, in, in emotional support, but in giving access to real resources and I'm really glad you brought up your your work uh, at the start of the pandemic in particular at Eve FM BJ because I remember we were talking about that because there's vaccine um, hesitancy you know if, if if you're in a community where you have no reason to trust the mainstream medical system you know suddenly they're offering you vaccines and so I know you guys did a lot of work around there and I just feel so strongly what you're saying. I mean, also people producing these shows, like you were saying, Mark Alon, people are queuing up to produce shows for WHIV's already awesome, eclectic 
schedule um, of community-led and community-facing programs, but that work is being done for free. And to produce a, a radio show, as you as you both know, you know, it takes time, not just the broadcast time, but the researching time, you know, getting when I was doing pirate radio, you can pile your own CDs. It's like that is work that should be paid, you know, just in recognition of its real value. And then you guys also talking about and it's something I keep hearing and seeing and coming across is the value just of just um, of, say, non or less essential community radio programming, where it's providing a real alternative to kind of narratives about certain groups or communities that we get from commercial sectors or even public service. Um, the BBC falls down sometimes in terms of its duty of care to adequately represent all communities of the UK. I don't think it does so. And I think community radio takes up the slack. Certainly in the US, um, mainstream radio doesn't give enough of give enough space for different communities. So I just wanted to try and unite all these, all these, all these functions of community radio together. Um, but I also, I like, I, I don't want to take up your call to, to action also VJ, because I think we're already one real boon, real boon for community radio is the fact that we can now stream it online inexpensively and reliably. That means that all of us can listen to each other and that we're not reliant only on the analog antenna. So that already connects us so much more. But yeah, I mean, we could do maybe more to the CMA in the UK, um, the Community Media Association. Calling, they call it media instead of radio, but really it's primarily community radio stations. Is one template, one example of an organization, um, the kind of organization that we could maybe, I don't know, increase the reach, increase the spread so that more community broadcasters and stations could amplify their work and talk to each other. Um, anyone want to add to all of this? There's so many directions to go in. Thanks for mentioning the module as well and the student-led programming, BJ. Absolutely, Katie. No, I, th I think the module means quite a lot because it's giving the experience to these students of the community radio, you know, because we're always hearing commercials. And and one of the, one of the interesting things that I think community radio plays a huge part that I've been involved in over the last 15 years is training. We, we, we're looking at these centres as community radios. They're not only giving the transferable skills of communication, presenting confidence um, um, and all of this kind of transferable stuff, but also media skills. Industry needs that. A lot of people from Eva FM, we've had people go on to Channel 4, BBC, um, they've moved on to different commercials. We had one that go is at Gem Radio now. It's another commercial. So the progression routes, I think, is so important with community radio as well. Employment. When we're looking at employment as well, we've done a lot of community projects around employment. They come to the radio. They go for work experience. We worked with unemployed unemployed people in Leicester, generally different age groups. They've come away, they've built these skills and then they've gone away and they feel more confident to get into the working environment, being more social. So are we looking at a new model where I'm, I'm, I'm really, really one of my biggest things I really want to pull out there is why are we not chosen as training centres or training providers from directly with government, you know, or, or local job centres, as we call them here and saying, why are we not directly connected and becoming partners of delivery models of delivering these social kind of gain, but really key, 
because it could really drive employ unemployment low because we're getting people ready for work, um, employment and using these skills. Why isn't community radio looked on that? Also on the health side of things, from what Mark Allen was saying, you know, getting the messages across what they're doing, breaking down stigmas. So recently, one of our presenters, he was, he's actually very fun. Um, he's, he, has a, he has a huge, shall I say, soft spot for cancer. And he says, VJ, one of my dreams has been to do a 24, he's a DJ, but I want to do 24 hours of DJ or radio show and supporting cancer. And he chose cancer research. And he says, what I want to do is raise money for cancer research and not just having fluids for 24 hours. And I thought this was an amazing idea. So I put him in touch with a health practice, um, uh, one of our health show guests. And he was like, if we're community radio, why not support two local charities that are supporting cancer in Leicester? So we changed it from cancer research and we supported two local charities that are working on a grassroots level. And he raised money for them. And it was so successful. We had a lot of lived experience stories come on there. Um, past victims when we're saying victims of cancer we're even talking about the loved ones the people that have passed away live experiences and the whole show was fantastic with an entertainment factor as well so using local community radio we have a five kilometer reach of radius on our transmitter we supported these local charities that were doing the work underground to kind of carry on and the and the money went back to them. So that's just another example of some of the things that we did. So yeah, lots of lots of things, lots of stories that can happen locally. You know, I don't know, Mark Allen, you may want to add to anything, you know. Thank you. I do. Thank you, Vijay. And again, it's so inspired to hear the work that you're doing there. Uh, it's really, really incredible and, and uh, really giving me lots of ideas as well. I, I wanted to touch on two things. And I, Katie, I wanted to go back to kind of your bigger, your bigger question or statement. But before I do, one of the original goals that we wanted to do at WHIV, following a lot, largely along the lines of, of what Vijay was talking about, which prompted the, this statement, was... Unfortunately, in the U.S., and particularly the state we live in, which is Louisiana, we are, the U.S. is the number one incarcerator of the world. In, in other words, we incarcerate more people in the United States per capita than anybody else. And that's largely uh, based on um, racism, quite frankly. I mean, you, you look at the communities who are uh, incarcerated in the United States, they are minority pop they are the minority populations. I'll just, just say brown and black populations are who are mostly incarcerated. They are the majority of people who live in prison cells, but they are the minorities of those that are in um, that are in the United States and make up, you know, just the pure uh, pure numbers, absolute numbers. And when you take a step back, the only way that you can interpret that is just pure unadulterated racism that existed, that has existed in the United States uh, for 400 years or so. Deep, deep systemic and structural racism and discrimination. So what happens when you leave the carceral system in the United States is you really become a second class uh, or really third or fourth classes and a lot of your rights are taken away from you, rights to vote, right to access what little social programming there is left in the United States uh, you have no access to. And really what this does is it encourages people to resort to make money back to the things that they did that possibly put them at risk to be incarcerated in the first place. 
Uh, and that is a, it's almost like a self-licking lollipop is really what it comes down to because you take away the ability for people. There's no, when people are in the carceral system, there's no teaching skills, <laughs> like, you know, in a large part, there's a lot of just putting you in isolation, in a very tiny room. And it, it works as a form of, of really, it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge violation of human rights, but it's a practice that is done across the United States and it's incredibly shameful. So one of the things that we wanted to do, because I always joke, after the nuclear war, uh, cockroaches and radio will be the two things that will be left standing. Because there's no way that you're ever going to be able to separate two antennas and allow people from talking to one another. No matter how much government, they can turn off the internet, but they can never turn off two antennas talking to one another. And that's really what it comes down to. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we are nine years in and we're, I think we're getting closer to being able to do it is that we are getting closer to being able to finally start this jobs program for people who are leaving the carceral system in the United States to be able to learn how to do radio engineering. And that's important for us because there's a very low barrier of entry into engineering. If you're in the carceral system and you try to become a doctor, that's not going to happen. Never, ever. You try, you can go into politics very easy because there's a lot of those people that are in politics, but you know, it, you know, it's very difficult for you to actually live a, a healthy and respectful life once you leave the carceral system in the United States. So being able to run a radio station is one of the things that we're trying to do. So hopefully in the year of 2024, 2025, that's one of our goals. The next thing I wanted to mention really quickly is that I think that you'll appreciate is that one of the things that WHIV is now uh, we're on the cusp of doing because we live in a state that has extremely uh, um, anti-LGBTQIA plus views, especially recently, and I don't know if you've seen the news recently about what's happening in one of our nearby states called Alabama, in which now they're considering fertilized eggs to now be considered human beings. And you can see the direction that the United States is moving into, which is a very Christo-nationalistic <laughs> country. And in that, as part of their worldview, this idea of being gay is obviously, uh, or LGBT, you know, essentially what they're trying to do is push the LGBT back in the closet again. And so one of the things that we're doing is we've partnered with a new organization called the New Orleans Pride Center. And what this is doing is it's providing a, a community space and it's going to be WHIV. It's our radio station is now going to be the space for the LGBTQIA youth in New Orleans to be able to come to a, not only to have a space and to be able to meet their daily after school, to be amongst their own, but what we're also doing is we're providing a voice, a platform, an amplified platform, not only in the form of local radio, but also teaching them to be able to speak their truth through podcast. So very much like what we did with Dorian's show, uh, proof positive and how we were able to get it played in West African UN AIDS waiting centers in their clinics and their, in their waiting rooms, being able to provide New Orleans LGBTQIA plus youth the opportunity to speak their truth. There was a really horrible murder that just happened that's in the news right now in a state called Oklahoma. 
um, and uh, in which a, a non-binary individual was basically beat to death. Uh, uh, they were, I think, in 10th grade, they were beat to death in a bathroom. They went home and then they collapsed the next day. Uh, and it's not clear what they collapsed of at this point. I imagine it was probably an aneurysm or some sort of brain bleed is what I suspect. But this is being treated by the state as, oh, well, they were having other issues and, and you know, there's nothing to see here. Let's move on. And that's not true. And what we do know is that there's a significant amount of hatred uh, toward all my, not just minority communities, be it racial minority, ethnic minorities, and certainly sexual minority communities. And so by bringing on this LGBTQIA youth, what we are uh, essentially trying to do is provide an incredible platform for people because we are going to see increases in suicides, especially amongst those that are of trans experience. And unfortunately, because the difficulties, the laws are going to be passed, especially in the southern United States, these governors that, that govern themselves and these judges that govern themselves under the eye of quote unquote God, uh, whatever that means, whatever that is, uh, that we will start to see very, very strong anti-trans laws that are going to be passed, unfortunately, that are going to uh, affect and hurt young, vulnerable peoples. And so just being able to have this voice through radio and through podcasts, we believe is going to be strong. And let me just wrap up here and just say this. Katie, I think the big picture that you were saying is, is why is community radio so desperate? Why are we in so many different places? How can we are not unified? And why is it so hard for community radio station to exist? If I sat down and told you the obstacles that exist to be able to keep WHIV on air, it really comes down to just not being fair. The, the odds are against us in many, many ways for us to be able to stay. There's no way for us to make money, just period, end of discussion. No commercials, there's nothing that comes to us in the form of grants or any sort of anything when it comes to government support, period, end discussion. It's completely community run. And if at the end of the day, there isn't money that WHIV has, Dr. Derry has to figure out how to pay for that. And Mrs. Derry is not happy when Dr. Derry is paying for keeping WHIV on air. So why is there this push to keep us down so much? And that that is governments don't like us broadcasting. They like to keep us divided as much as possible. And when we unify through one voice, that, that many of us that are able to speak up unified threaten the power structure that exist. And so while it's okay for, yes, you guys can all have your little radio stations, but they do the things, especially in the U.S., that keep us so separated and keep us struggling to stay alive, quite, quite literally, what they're trying to do is trying to avoid, they're trying to avoid everybody speaking with one voice. Because while individually we're not much, collectively as one voice, we are grand, we are great, we are unstoppable. And what we are seeing and what you're describing, Katie, is largely efforts to keep us separate and desperate from one another rather than together and unified for speaking with one voice. And it's speaking with one voice that is where we need to get to. But 
right? Certainly in America, we've lost that. That is gone. This country is forever changed. Even if Trump doesn't win the election, that Trump, that Trump mindset, that virus has been unleashed and it'll go to the whoever else that comes next. And you will see a rapid change in this country very, very rapidly uh, because of that mindset. And we're seeing it happen in other parts of the world, certainly with Putin, certainly in Hungary, uh, certainly uh, in uh, not Venezuela, but Argentina. Uh, we saw it in Brazil for a hot moment. Thankfully, we saw Lula get, uh, 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 you know, get back to power. But we are seeing certainly what we're seeing in Israel. Of course, I mean, what we are seeing right now is the rise of strong men. And it's really radio and media and us speaking together as one voice is the only tool we have as a population to be able to stand up to that tyranny. Thank you. Yeah, I, you, you know, you're reminding us of these things we already know, but just the necessity and the urgency to keep, to keep connecting, to keep providing this real support. But like, as you say, the infrastructure is being dragged from under your feet, if it ever existed at all. VJ knows the same thing happens in, in the, in the UK community sector. And really just, it couldn't be more, more crucial and more urgent and, and this, Community radio time and again steps up in crisis times. We saw at the beginning of, of the pandemic, both in providing physical spaces for, for support and providing tools, real tools all the way through, like employing people in meaningful uh, ways which they can then sustain as opposed to performativity. Um, all these kind of all thought through solutions and you guys are doing it at your different stations um, under-resourced. So um I'm galvanized by this conversation. I'm also like, I'm heartsick because of what you're, you know, we all know this, but maybe we have to keep looking at it and keep it central because um, we have to continue to act and connect and we can stream. At least we can do that. Um, so yeah, if we can think of ways to continue this and maybe we'll, I don't know, put something, um, some links or something uh, when you post this, Toby and anyone who has further thoughts, VJ, sorry, I'm talking too much. Um, wanna... It's okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just some really strong words by Mark Allen there. He's showing his passion coming out. True, true passion coming out there with community radio. I think is there something in the US like the CMA or Community Media Association? I'm sure there is something. I did see something, but I don't know how much it's active or we've kind of in the UK. We we we've kind of united to a point where we've got stations as a membership organization. And we talk about, we talk about the struggles. One of the biggest things that I think we need to look at in community radio is because it's been about 15, 20 years, maybe community radio has really come out there is the succession process. Mark Allen, you're one that has started the radio. You're the founder. What we've seen in UK now um, I think that I, um, not far from Leicester, their community radio, when they started, they were in a little hut in the side of their house. And now they're looking on who's going to take over. Unfortunately, I think they're going to close. There's a few other stations where the succession, who's going to be the next person that takes over the station. We've seen a few in England that have gone because of succession. There's no one to take that role on. Um, What's going to happen? You've got this 20-year span. People retire. People want to move on. What happens next? Who's that person? 
At Eva so, FM, um, just want to finish. At Eva FM, my director, they now moved on to the age of retiring. It's VJ taking over. Um, go on, Mark. So, so, so I think that's really important to look at. Yeah, so that's a really very profound question and very prescient. And I know we're on a podcast, but the the uh, you know just for our listeners, what what's behind me in my virtual background is a Scottish flag uh, with a with a fist up. And why do I have a Scottish flag up? Because um, we're leaving the United States. Like the U.S. is no longer home to us, and we're really looking to move to Scotland. So, VJ, what you're talking about is an incredibly prescient discussion that we're <laughs> having right, right now. And actually, my wife and I are in the process of trying to figure out all the places that we can do to kind of show, like we re doing our articles of incorporation we're remaking we're making sure the foundation of the radio station is as established and set as possible before we turn around and hand this off to another entity because really in the end that's what it comes down to and and it's not going to we're going to try to possibly hand it to it's right. We want to make sure the legacy is there. We want to hand it to an entity that's a nonprofit entity because yeah. anybody's going to want an FCC license. I mean, we'll yeah, still absolutely. maintain the FCC as the Neuron Society for Infectious Disease Awareness. But we are looking to leave. We are looking to move to Europe. My wife just got her Austrian passport. I'm going to be getting a Portuguese. So we're going to be EU citizens. I know. Why are you in Scotland? Brexit, whatever. That's another conversation for another time. But we are going to be EU citizens. And so what does that mean for this thing that we've brought up? It's almost like a baby to us. We have provided this incredible thing that exists that people really listen to, rely on, and want. And we need to make sure that it, it, it continues on. So part of my daily conversation with my wife is what are we doing to build that foundation to make sure that that legacy of human rights, social justice is always going to be there. It's going to be built into the articles. We're going to make sure that the, we, that the roots are so deep that nobody can, can go in there and it's lift them up the and disrupt it. It's one of the most challenging things. Or but you have to think about it now. Yeah. You we, have to think about of, it now. We're kind, yes. of the, we're, we're kind of planting the seeds. We've been doing it for a long time in the UK because a lot of stations is a one man's vision or one person's vision, shall I say. Um, one person's vision that had this vision of creating a community radio. They've set it up. It's their passion. When they leave, who's going to take over? Who's going to do the, the hours? All the work that's involved, the recruitment, the carrying on. So it's finding that next person down the line. Um, what I, I would recommend is an organization that is that's well-established, that sees... So that's for us is, is, is going to partner with a, a well-established, well-funded organization that matches our vision that matches what we are looking out to the future and and being able to have them kind of take over to hand it over to one or two people or to a board that could easily dissipate again new orleans is going to without getting into the weeds of talking about what the politics are in louisiana and new orleans the new orleans of today is going to look very different in 20 years it's going to look very different in 10 years probably even in five years it is going to change radically we lost a lot of people with covid significant amounts of people with covid and i anticipate with the further right-wing radical 
localization that's going to happen in the state of Louisiana and by definition also New Orleans. We are going to see a lot of people leave the state. We are seeing a lot of a brain drain just with the reproductive rights being taken away from women and people with uteruses. You are seeing a significant brain. What young person is going to want to stay? What young person is going to do a residency in New Orleans, right? Why would she come to New Orleans if she knows that she has no control over her uterus and she's a physician, right? There's just That's just no reason for that to happen. So you're going to see a brain drain out. And so what we're trying to do is exactly what you're talking about, BJ, is trying to plan so that we can make sure that 102.3 WHIV will always yeah. be broadcasting and it will always be broadcasting human rights and social Absolutely. justice. And uh, I think, I think that the worry is across the whole sector. Um, but yeah, these are just some of the things that we can look forward to, more uniting, succession, legacy, how do we carry it on? But on the up note, I just want to finish off. I think we're at a point of the growth level hasn't stopped in community radio. It's growing at a massive rate. So on a success, on, on, on a positive, really, really positive, I think community radio is the way I, I wouldn't leave community radio for anything. So yeah, fantastic. It's been amazing talking to you guys and having some discussion points and the amazing work community radio is doing across the world. Um, so yeah, fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Well, thanks to all of you. It's been really, really great. I've learned so much. And for me, having lived in both cities, uh, it's especially poignant. And because my third name is Andrew, named after St. Andrew, uh, and my first name is actually Bruce, named after Robert the Bruce, Scotland will be all to the better for your and your wife's presence. Katie, thank you so much for organizing this. It's really, uh, I know this sounds silly, I'm a bit teary, actually, after listening to the contributions you've made. Katie, is there something you'd like to say before we finish then? I both VJ and Margalan said it so much better, but just as examples of speaking truth to power and and reiterating and rearticulating what's going on with us at this really deeply felt personal level, but also recognizing it gets amplified. I, I, I just I want to do this again. I want to see ways in which we can continue to connect community radio work um, in future. And thank you, everybody, so much for joining and for taking part. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you.